Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. This morning we're talking about revival. And we have been praying for a Jesus revival. Where... Thousands of people have this encounter with Christ where they're delivered and saved and healed and walking with, in the power and the anointing of God, not just for a short time, a few weeks or a few months, but that this will be their permanent station in life, revived in Christ, walking with Him permanently, feeling His presence in a powerful way. And so this morning, I want to talk about revival. What is revival? When, when I think about revival, I think about like a tent meeting or I think about a, a church services that go for like a, a week or several days and you have people coming and it's a lot of activity and you're inviting your friends and neighbors. But revival is really renewal. It's, it's also restoration, life. An awakening. And I, I love what uh, Jesus tells Thomas directly in John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have a full life only through Christ. It's only through Him that we can live the abundant life. We know what, what Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come, what? That you may have abundant life. And so it's only through Christ that we can have this abundant life. Now, I know as Christians, we all need some encouragement from time to time. We need some renewal. We need some refreshing. But people without Christ, they need more than that. They need more than just some encouragement and renewal and refreshing. They need to be revived. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, my, my parents had a, a plant out in the backyard, and that thing was dead. I mean, it was like crispy. <laughs> it looked like it was completely dead because it was brown. There was no, there were no leaves or flowers or anything. And somehow, by loving and nurturing that plant, my wife got it to come back to life. But when we think about people that are lost, that don't have a relationship with Christ, that's really how they are. I mean, they're, they're a shell, and they're walking, and they're living, but they're not really living the abundant life that God has called them to live without Christ. I want to share a point that I, I made last week. The spiritual realm impacts the physical, and the physical impacts the spiritual realm. And so we are, we are spirit, spirit beings living in a, a fleshly body because we know that when we die, our spirit will live on. And so as we connect with the Lord and He pours into our life, it has an effect on our physical life. And then our physical life has an effect on our spiritual life. As we begin to walk in the power and the anointing and the freedom that God has called us to, then it, it, it connects us greater with the Lord. And we're able to share the hope and the love of Christ with others that has a, a spiritual impact in their life. So what is the purpose of revival? I think it's to partner with the Lord so that people's lives are transformed. And I've, I've thought about this, this phrase, partnering with God. 
um, over the, ca- the past couple of weeks, and I've thought, well, God doesn't need to partner with anybody because he spoke everything into existence, but he chooses to partner with us. Because if you go back and look in Genesis, he said, listen, I've given you dominion and authority over the earth. And so you are to uh, take care of the earth, and, and I've given you dominion and authority over the animals and, and, and everything. And so what are we doing with that authority and dominion and power that God has given us? And so we, we have been called to, uh, to steward what God has given us. And, and part of what, what, we, what we're called to do is connect with him, but also help others to connect with him. And so revival, um, the, the benefits of revival are that families are restored, marriages are restored, communities are healed and healthy. Revival should not be a short-term encounter. Revival should have a lifetime effect on our lives because we're yielding to him and he's doing something in our hearts and lives. But revival, if you think about it, Although we can receive from revival, what is revival really for? It should be for the lost, those that don't have a relationship with the Lord. That we call them in so that they can be revived, so that they can go from a a station of death and hopelessness and all the things that they may struggle with to, to having hope and having this relationship with the Lord where they are being filled and they are being touched and changed and healed and all of those kinds of things. We know that one of the final things that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what did he say? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teach them everything that I've taught you and know that I'll be with you till the ends of the age. So we have a commission from the Lord is to grow, but also to go and make disciples. Not just get people saved, but train them and equip them and lead them. And so I want to show some renderings. This may not be exactly how the building's going to look, but uh, we've been talking about the, the property that God has given us. And so do we have, yeah. So they're showing some of these renderings of what the building could look like, but envision that we have our building there. And God has strategically placed us in this area. And so we have this building. And, and so uh, we, we have these 13 acres in an, uh, an unchurched area. We have three major schools right in our area that we need to be ministering to these children. Listen, the enemy is going after our children to kill and steal and destroy them and twist their way of thinking. And so we have great opportunities to reach the unchurched in this community. And I envision that we'll be doing that when we get our building built. But we don't have to wait until then. We can be doing that now. And so we'll have facilities to train and equip believers, but also to train and equip others as people come and they get saved. The trainer always benefits from the training. <laughs> as we train and equip others, as we teach others and lead others, we're being developed. And so what's our mission at Life Fellowship? To develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. 
So as we're helping others develop, we ourselves are being developed and solidified and growing. So I have three points today, and they're really the answer to a question. The question is, what are some of the results of revival? My first point is helping others discover a life in Christ. That's what revival really should be. And I know, again, I know that we all need some reviving sometimes. But what I'm talking about are people that are, are lost, that need complete transformation. As we're going through this transformation, we can be bringing others along with us. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees were really upset with him. They were upset with him most of the time. But he was baptizing and making disciples. And so Jesus leaves Judea and goes to Galilee. Now, when we read these scriptures, Jesus left Judea and went to Galilee, you know, we probably have this mindset of it, it, it was no big deal. I mean, because if we were to drive 60 or 70 miles, we just get in our car. It may be a little inconvenient, right? It may take us an hour. If you're driving through Houston, it may take you three hours. But... But we, we think about, we read these scriptures and we don't realize how difficult it may have been because they would have to walk. You know, they, they couldn't, they weren't riding in a chariot. They may have been on a donkey or something like that, but probably most everywhere they went, they walked. How long do you think it would take you to walk 60 or 70 miles? And it would not necessarily be on roads like we have today. And uh, the shortest route from Judea to Galilee would have been through Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were a group of people. They were Jewish, but they had married foreigners. And uh, so the Jews that had not inter intermarried with other tribes or other foreigners considered them a mixed race because they felt like they hadn't kept their Jewish, Jewish roots and, and uh, uh, genealogy pure. And, and the Samaritans and the Jews hated one another. But many times when a Jew would have to travel a, a, through the country, they would go around Samaria because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans. That's how badly they hated one another. And so they would avoid contact as much as they could. So let's read on here in uh, John chapter 4. And this is speaking of Jesus here. So Jesus, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, when, you, when I read this in English, it looks like, he, well, he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't have to go through Samaria. He was, uh, this word had to implies an, an expression of necessity, he didn't have to. He felt impressed. He felt the need to go through Samaria. And this gives some insight for us because the things that the Lord would do were, were uh, designed. There was a divine design. Whenever God, whenever Jesus did something, there was a purpose to it. He wasn't just doing random things and he didn't just have to go through Samaria. There was a purpose and plan for that. And so Jesus walked through this region that many Jews would have just avoided because of this purpose and, and for this encounter that he was going to have. Now, before we get into the story, I want to ask you to consider a question. 
Do we avoid and overlook people who are different from us? Now, I know that we're a pretty, we're a diverse church here, and, uh, and I think that's awesome that there, uh, we come from different backgrounds, different colors, different races. I think that's awesome. I think that's how heaven's going to look. I don't, I don't agree with the black church, the white church, the Chinese church, and I know there are different cultures, but it's like there's division when we do that. And, and so when we come together, we should be gathering together in Jesus. Um, but are we, or do we have prejudices toward somebody of a different color or race? Uh, I know we're coming up on the midterms. Do we have conflict with people that have a different political persuasion? Are we looking at some of the exterior things instead of the interior things, the heart, the things of the heart? How do we feel about people that are living ungodly lifestyles? Ooh, I don't want anything to do with them. Jesus didn't avoid issues created by culture, by race, by hate, or conflict. Jesus many times addressed things head on. Why Why did he do that? Because he loved people. He loves us. He stood for godliness. He stood against evil and wickedness. Where do you stand in the issues that the Bible clearly stated are wrong? Where do you stand? We have the midterm elections coming up. Who are you going to be voting for? Do you vote for people that reflect godly values and support the things of the Bible? I mean, when we look at this country, we see the chaos and the things that are going on around us. And I wonder who we can point the finger at. Maybe ourselves, because we're the ones, if we don't like the way things are going, we're the ones that are voting these people into office, that are making the rules and and the laws that we have to abide by. And I've said this before, we have political problems, but our biggest problem is spiritual. That we have become complacent toward the things of God, and we have allowed things, not just in our culture, but in our church too. You see churches that are allowing all kinds of ungodly things It should not be. We should be setting the standard for the world to see, not uh, compromising in the same manner that the world does. But God has set us apart, not to be untouchable, but we're to be in the world, influencing the world, but not of the world, not acting like the world. But yet we see some in the church that are acting worse (laughs) than the world. But that should not be. And so we have the opportunity to lead others. When you see things going on around you with other Christians or even in your own life, say, wait a minute, Jesus is the standard and this is what he's called me to, to walk in this life of righteousness and holiness, not in performing, but in being transformed where we no longer want to do those things we used to do. So Jesus would bring correction to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders. It it wasn't received many times because they're like, well, who are you? Look who I am. I'm a religious leader. I'm a Pharisee. Look at my robe. Look at my tassels. But Jesus, a carpenter, Jesus, fully man and fully God, came to earth to restore, to revive people into this relationship even the religious leaders who thought they knew it all Jesus would touch the lepers 
The people that had skin disease that you didn't want to touch them because you could get their leprosy. He was not afraid of those things. And he walked in the power and the dominion. And he, he reached out to the unreachables, the people that we wouldn't touch, the people that culture shunned and said, no, you have to live out here. You have to live away from us because we don't want your stuff in our life. We don't want your sickness. Jesus touched the people that, that were in sin. And I thought about the woman caught in adultery. And as Jesus began to ride in the dirt, all those that had come to stone her began to drop their rocks and walk off. And he said, where are your accusers? They had all left. And he said, I don't accuse you either. But go and sin no more. Stop living the lifestyle that is killing you. Stop living this lifestyle that could have gotten you physically killed today. Not to mention the spiritual implication of, of those things. And so Jesus was reaching out to people because he cared about people, lost people. We've all been there without, without Christ, but he took care of that on the cross for us. Jesus was moved by compassion. What moves us? What moves you? If we have the heart of the Lord, we will demonstrate the same actions. Have we become holier than thou? That we're too good to reach out to this person because they're living in sin or because they're sick or because of their religious? Can we share the hope and the love of Christ with the people that we come in contact with, regardless of their race, their inclinations, their political uh, persuasion. John 4, 5. Going back to, to Jesus, he's traveling from Judea to Galilee. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, Okay, we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, man gets tired. God doesn't get tired. So what do we see here? We see some humanity. There's a whole lot in this passage of Scripture that we could stop and, and camp out on. But I just want to hit some highlights here. But again, we see that the humanity of Jesus, where he was actually tired. Let's read on. Verse 6 continues, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, in their culture, generally the women would come to draw water from the well in the morning and in the evening. And so this, this woman shows up at noontime. And uh, let's read on in verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. So she's showing up at noontime when most of the other women are showing up in the morning or, and or in the afternoon, evening. I wonder why that is. Some believe that it's because she was living in sin and she didn't want to interact with those other women because she would be rejected by them they would be talking about her <laughs> do you ever see situations like that 
or maybe somebody that, that is struggling or whatever, and they show up and people begin to talk about them and say, oh, there's so-and-so. You know, she's living with that guy or she. And so this woman was probably avoiding all that for her shame, maybe, her guilt. So Jesus says to her, please give me a drink, knowing Jesus knew that this woman was living a sinful life. And uh, a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman and one living a sinful life would have gone very counterculture. It would have been very against the culture that he would even be speaking to her. Let's read on John 4, 8. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. So not only did the Jews know that they weren't going to interact with the Samaritans, the Samaritans felt the same way. This was not a surprise to her. And so let's read on. She says to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And I think there's a lot going on here. I think she could have been saying, too, why aren't you talking to me? We hate one another. Have you ever maybe taken on an offense, somebody else's offense, and you don't like somebody because somebody told you a story and maybe you don't know the full story and you've made up your mind you don't like them? They have never done anything to you. And, and so I, I think sometimes that, that's a problem in our lives where we'll take on an offense. That's why in Matthew 18 it says, if you've got a problem, go talk to them. Don't go talk to somebody else. Go talk. You go talk to them. You have the problem with them. And if somebody comes and tries to dump their trash on you, say, no, 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 I don't want your trash. You go talk to them. I don't, I don't want to take on your offense because there's grace between the people that are offended but not the third party. But anyway, that's a, just a side note there. But there was an avoidance. And I think, I wonder sometimes if they didn't even know why they hated one another. This is just a person. This is a man. This is a woman. This is a child. And because you have this label, now I hate you and you hate me. Why do we hate one another? Well, I don't know. We just do. That's how it's brought up. So verse 9 continues. She says to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. Okay, let's stop here for a moment. What's he talking about, the gift? He's talking about the gift of eternal life. I, I love that we sang this song today about breakthrough about seeing a miracle. She needed a breakthrough. She didn't even know she needed a breakthrough, maybe. And she doesn't know that she's talking to Jesus, who was the Messiah. Verse 10 continues, You would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus is talking specifically about spiritual life through water that only he can give. Now they're at the water well, and she's drawing water, and, and so... He's drawing a parallel between the physical and the spiritual. People don't know, people who don't know Jesus don't realize they need him. 
And many times when, when we're caught up in, or when we were caught up in our former, former lifestyle and things like that, and I, I didn't know I needed Jesus. Well, I did because I was brought up in the church and I knew better. But many people don't. And they're like, hey, what do I need Jesus for? I'm, I'm good. But they don't realize what they're missing. And so when we come into this personal relationship that we haven't had before, then we understand the value and are like, wow, I could have had this all along. <laughs> Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Now, if you've ever carted around water, you know that water weighs like almost eight and a half pounds per gallon. And, and so I don't know if this well required you just let a bucket down in the, in the water or if there was a crank with a, a, a gear on it or something, but still you're having to lift up water. If it were, say, a five-gallon jug or bucket you're letting down in the water, that's, that's like over 40 pounds. So it was a laborious thing for them to take water from the well. But Jesus is talking about something that doesn't require our labor, that has a much greater effect. He's talking about our spiritual life. And he's using water that sustains physical life while talking about the living water that brings spiritual life, that is free to us. John 14, 11 continues, where would, I, uh, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. She's still not grasping the concept of what he's talking about here. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So again, we have insight that, that Jesus is talking about something spiritual because it's bubbling up from within, would refer to the Holy Spirit, to this connection to the Lord. It's not just our physical uh, thirst, but it's our spiritual thirst that we all have that many people don't know how to quench that spiritual thirst. So they'll try things in the physical, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, to try to fill that void that can never be filled except through the living water that Christ gives. John four fifteen. please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine dragging all this water? And again, you know, we're thinking, okay, well, they go to the well and they get water. Well, they probably had to carry this water a long way. Imagine if you want to go take a shower or a bath. What do you do? You go turn on the, the faucets, right? You want to wash the dishes. You want a glass of clean water. They didn't have that. So think about this. Have you ever had your water shut off for a few hours, a few minutes? How inconvenient that is. You go to turn on, oh, I want a glass of water. Oh, no water. Okay, well, I'll go do some laundry. No, I won't do any laundry. I won't do much of anything <laughs> without water, right? And so this is a big deal. And, and this woman, I think she's thinking, wow, this would be great. I never have to cart these jugs around. But she's still thinking physical when God is, Jesus is talking about spiritual. 
And then Jesus makes a shift. It's an unusual shift, it seems to be, in John 4, 16. He says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. What? We're talking about water, living water, and now he says, go, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So now I think Jesus is kind of zeroing in on some things in this woman's heart. It's not about the water anymore, the physical water and the jugs. Her lifestyle would have been very, very unacceptable, certainly to the religious. And uh, for religious practices, that would have been unacceptable. And for the cultural standards as well. So again, that's probably why she wasn't going to the well when all the other women were going and they were talking about, you know, women, whatever women talk about. They like to gather and talk, right, share. And she probably was embarrassed. She was probably excluded from many of those conversations. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And then they have this discussion. I'm not going to go there because that's a whole other series right there. It's a whole other teaching. They begin to talk about worship. And she says, well, our ancestors said we should worship here. And, and the Jews say we should worship over there. And Jesus said the Father's looking for those who, wor- who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's, that's a whole other thing. It's not about the location. It's about our heart. It's about are we connected and authentically worshiping the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's over here or over there in your car here on Sunday mornings. It's about worshiping authentically. So let's skip down to verse 20. You guys okay? All right. Okay, so John 4, 25 and 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I love this. Jesus is not ambiguous now. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, this is the beginning of his ministry. And I find it really interesting that Jesus is making this declaration to this woman, a person who would normally be shunned by the Jews, a woman who had a lifestyle of blatant sin, A woman who's in need of a desperate relationship with God. And he's giving her something that he hasn't given a lot of other people. Again, we're talking about revival here. We're talking about reviving. And so Jesus is giving her so much that she can't drink it all. (laughs) He is just pouring into this woman. Now, the disciples return and are shocked to find him talking with her because they know culturally that this is a no-no. You shouldn't even be talking to this woman. And look what Jesus is doing. This woman who's living in sin, he's saying, I can give you living water. I am the Messiah who you're talking about. I am he. So what are some of the results of revival? The first one is helping others discover a life in Christ. Secondly, those who are revived help to revive others. Let's skip down to verse 28. 
the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Now, there's a lot here. She leaves her water jar there. That's indicative that she's planning on coming back, right? And I think that this woman is so excited about what she's discovered in this man, Jesus, that she runs off to go tell the people in in the community. Maybe some of the people that have shunned her and rejected her and talked about her because she has found something that they need. She has found something that she's needing and needed, and it's changed her life. Listen, when we encounter Jesus, it changes our life. Maybe those prejudices that we used to have, maybe those resentments that we used to have, maybe that unforgiveness that we used to have, maybe the things that we had in our life that we don't even know why we had them begin to fall off because Jesus has done something. He's torn the veil of our heart and given us what we really need. In John 4, 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So we don't have the whole dialogue here of what was happening at the well, but she says, come see a man who's told me everything that I have ever done. So we know that he knew Jesus uh, confronted her about living, having five husbands and living with someone now. There's no telling what all that dialogue and that conversation how that went and what he was able to express to her. And she was able to tell him and she was able to maybe receive forgiveness or healing or what she needed, which was the living water that comes from Jesus. John 4.30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. She must have been saying something that would encourage people to come. Here's this woman that probably had been rejected and, and oh, well, Here comes Debbie again, you know, I wonder what. And she's like, no, 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 let me tell you. Come and see this man who told me everything I've ever done. He may be the Messiah. He may be the one that we're looking for. You've got to come check this out. She got over maybe her pride or or whatever was maybe separating her from these people. And she's saying, look, you've got to come check this out. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. What are some of the results of revival? Helping others discover a life in Christ. A shameful woman who now had discovered a life in Christ. The second point, those who are revived help to revive others. So she's like, look, you've got to come get some of this stuff, man. This is good. The third point is building the kingdom of God. That's what happens when revival happens. Because the kingdom of God is about us coming into His kingdom. It's about us yielding our lives to Him and Him doing the transformation in our hearts and lives. And then we get to partner with God and go out and share the hope and the love of Christ with other people. And then they go out and share the hope and the love of Christ with other people. And then we get to train and equip. We get to be trained and equipped to lead other people, disciple people, and show them how they can 
help disciple other people? Let's skip to verse 39. John 4, 39-42. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. I wonder what that conversation was like. But I bet it was very, very real. Because Jesus had a way of getting to the heart of the matter, getting to the root cause of what was going on there, not just surface level. Verse 40, when they came out to see him, Jesus, when they came out to see Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Here's a location that Jews wouldn't normally even go through. And Jesus says, I'm going to stay here for a couple of days because I love these people. And they need the living water that I have. They need this relationship restored. They need to be revived. Okay, yeah, I've got a destination. I've got to get up here to Galilee. But there's something important that I need to do. So let's not be quick to rush off to get to the destination. But let's say, God, what are you doing through me in this journey that has an eternal impact? Maybe in my life, but maybe in somebody else's life. And so, verse 41, So he stayed there for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Many came to hear and receive this wonderful message of salvation and of Christ. Verse 42. Then he said to the woman, Now now we believe not... Now, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. So she shared her testimony, and they're like, Okay, well, we, we believe you. But now that we've encountered him, we've heard for, for ourselves. And so... Our, our testimony is powerful, that we can share what God has done in our life. And then maybe somebody begins to say, well, well maybe, maybe the Lord has something for me too. Maybe there's hope for me too. Maybe I can get out of this rut. Maybe I can get out of this ditch that I've been stuck in. Maybe I can be free. Maybe I can have this living water that is giving them hope. Maybe I can have the same thing. And so, again, we get to partner with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are able to see. We are able to hear. We are able to respond. And we are able to go and and help people. We will see many salvations and changed lives when we experience revival. Are you prepared for revival? Are you prepared? to help other people, to train them and equip new believers. People may be coming off the street with all kinds of baggage and junk and maybe not smelling very good, maybe not being very clean, maybe having lots of issues, maybe having some of the issues that you used to have. (laughs) Are we prepared? So I I want you to close your eyes. I want to I want to ask you a few questions, and I want you just to ponder these questions for a moment. How many people can see Jesus transforming your life? How many people that are looking at you, that are in your sphere of influence, 
can see that your life is being transformed through Jesus. Another question, how many people have you brought to church? Hey, if this is good for you, are you inviting other people? Are you being like the woman at the well and saying, hey, come, come and see, come experience the Lord. Come experience worship. Come and experience a, a church that loves God and loves people. How many people have you led in a prayer of salvation? Have you ever done that? Has God ever opened up the, the door for you to lead somebody in a prayer of salvation? Or has God opened up the door, but you were too afraid or felt like you, you couldn't really do that? What happens if hundreds of people start showing up at church? You can open your eyes now. <laughs> what happens when hundreds of people start coming? Well, let the pastor do it. He can do it. No, no, no. My job is to lead and feed and train and equip. The majority of the ministry happens through you guys. I'm just one person. Think how much more effective we are as the body of Christ when we're all doing what God has called us to do, when we're reaching those people, because you can reach people that I'll never even see or meet. You'll have opportunities in HEB that no one else will ever have because someone is in line and they're hurting and they're wounded or whatever, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, just ask them if they need something because they may never be in that place again. You may never be in that place again. And so you have maybe this one shot at that opportunity <laughs> because when you leave and get in your car, they're going to get in their car and go and you probably will never see them again. So are we getting prepared for a revival that I believe is coming? Or do we wait until it happens? Oh, well, I'll get prepared. No, no, no. No, don't do that. We need to be prepared now. We need to be getting prepared now. The Lord comes to a place prepared and expecting His arrival. The Lord comes to a place where people are expecting his arrival. Is your heart prepared and expecting him? So many times on Sunday morning, I'll talk about, hey, and in our prayer, I'll say something like, we come with expectancy. Have, when you come here on Sunday morning, listen, you need to be coming with expectancy. Lord, I've come here today expecting to receive. I'm going to press into worship. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to forget about what happened last week and what's going on next week, and I'm just going to lock in with you. And I'm expecting to hear from you today. Right here. I want you to speak to my heart. Because the Word says of itself, it will not return void without accomplishing what it was sent to do. So I could get up here and, and teach on Jesus wept for six weeks, and Jesus would be doing something in our hearts and lives because it's His Word. But we need to come with an expectation of receiving and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? So what are the results of revival? Helping others discover a life in Christ. That's, the, that's really the heart of revival. Seeing people get revived like that dead plant that was crunchy. <laughs> it came back to life. There are people that are dead. They're crunchy. They need some, some life. They need some hope. 
They need some love. They need you to partner with God and show them the love of Christ and that there's hope. The second uh, result of revival, those who are revived help to revive others. Many of us know what that's like, man. We were in the pit and we got delivered, got saved, got healed, still getting some healing. Building the kingdom of God. I don't want, and I don't want any of us to ever have any regrets when we get to heaven. It's not going to be any preaching up there. <laughs> uh, yes, we're calling Mark Johnson to the pulpit to preach. No, I'm sorry. Jesus is here. We don't need any preaching. I think it's going to be so awesome. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I don't want us to ever, you know, have regrets that, man, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me to reach out to that person, and I, I just didn't do it because it was inconvenient, because I would have had to drive 60 miles, <laughs> not walk. Revival. Yielding to the Lord and saying, Lord, prepare me to lead others that need to be revived.